Welcome to the Eastside Church Podcast. Today we'll be listening to a message from Pastor Brandon Sharp. You know, one more thought. We're going to be in 2 Chronicles this morning. Seven-ish. You guys can turn over there. One more thought. I felt like something got pretty simple as we were worshiping the Lord. You know, there's a lot of questions out there and we're sensitive to these questions and what does church look like and what's the place of the corporate gathering and you know when we were singing about our first love and, and returning to that place I just thought to myself you know what when you're in love with someone all that really matters is being with them you guys with me you hear where I'm going there Lord if you're here and you're meeting us the way you just met us I don't care about the questions. I don't care about the argument. I just want to be with the one I love. So if you're showing up, I'm good. Have peace there. I'm not sure what the, I'm not sure what the uh, title of the message is going to be yet. I'll tell you when I figure it out. But what I want to talk about this morning is basically what we just sang. I call, you answer, and you came to my rescue. And I, I just want to be where you are. Last week, Pastor Alex talked to us about fear a good bit um, and across several different arenas in our life. In fact, pretty much made the statement, fear will, fear will try to gain insight into every part of our lives that is one of the enemy's greatest tactics. And so I want to talk about the mercy of God this morning. And I think as we come into greater touch with what his mercy looks like and, and doesn't look like and we gain a fuller understanding of his mercy, it will free us from fear that we serve an angry God and it will empower us to faith that we serve a good father. Is that good? Let that, let that settle right there a second. Are you guys in Second Chronicles? <clears throat> Second Chronicles, chapter seven, verse 14. How many in the room knew that's where I was going? Come on. I know you guys are jumping ahead in the conversation. I bet Brennan's going to Second Chronicles 7, 14. Second Chronicles, chapter seven, verse 14 is probably, has been quoted more this year than it has in history. I feel like it's everywhere. And you're probably like, really? Now we have to hear about it for a whole, a whole message on a Sunday? Kind of. Um, we're going to hear about it, and we're going to hear about it in context. Um, so I think when we hear Second Chronicles 7.14, you know, the Lord says, if my people who are called by my name will, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive and I'll heal their land. Yeah, did I get it? That was paraphrased, was it close? Right, and so, so, so when we hear about this, it's, it's such a thing to pray, it's such a thing to cry out for, it's such a thing to believe God to do in, in, in both our world and, and our nation, right? And I don't think any of those things are, are misappropriation uh, at all. Of this, of this verse and, and of this promise. So let's keep doing those things. You know, oftentimes, because this gets such a national understanding, if you will, I feel like it can also miss some 
some personal implications, some, some what does, how does this really influence my daily walk with God? And so that's where I wanna talk to us just a little bit. Um, curiosity, right? You guys know I love context, right? And so curiosity makes me ask this question. How many know what's going on in Second Chronicles 7? Couple, couple in the room. Isn't that interesting? Listen, y'all, I, I love you enough to tell you this. Like I just, right, no condemnation, no guilt at all. Right, But we, we live in a culture sometimes, we live in a church sometimes, we live in a, a Bible app age sometimes that will pull verses out, kind of cherry pick and, and let them be there and speak to us and encourage us. And, and that is okay. But there's also a very healthy challenge to always understand one verse in the larger context of what's around it. That verse is a part of a larger conversation spoken by, written by a specific inspired author to a specific group of people in a specific set of circumstances. This verse is no different. And when, we, when we'll spend the time to understand, right? Why do we read scripture? Don't we read scripture to get a revelation of the character and nature of God? Lord, you met us in worship. Now, now meet us in your word. We wanna understand your character and your nature. So, so there's your challenge context for the morning. Your context challenge, rather. Many more to come. Many more to come. That's not going anywhere. So this is no different. Think about, think about we just went through verse 14. Now, let's read the two verses prior. Let's read, let's read 12 and 13. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. So now we know. It's a, it's a vision, it's a visitation of the Lord Christ before he became the man, Jesus, and said to him, I have heard your prayer. You should go, what prayer? The Lord shows up and says, Solomon, I've heard your prayer. We should go, what prayer? Right, are you guys with me? This is diving into biblical context and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. What place? What prayer, what place, Lord? Are you starting to get it, right? When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locust to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, then if my people who are called by my name. It's amazing. I hope you see the power there. It's amazing that we can just go two verses up and go, ah, oh, Lord, this is about you hearing a prayer. This is, about, this is about the house that is your temple being dedicated. And this is, about, this is about you, in this case right here. Now, watch your theological toes. I may get on them a little bit this morning, but it's not, it's not intentional, it's not malicious, right? We have to bend our theology towards scripture, not bend scripture toward our theology. And what's very clear to me right here is that God afflicted his people. That's not popular. Not in today's church, right? Not in our, the, the enemy only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you, you might have life and have it more abundantly. What we see is that the Lord says, when I shut up heaven, who shut up heaven? Who held back the rain? Come on, church, don't leave me up here alone. When you guys are silent, you're intimidating right? He, he shut up. That's right, Doug. He shut up the heavens. He held back the rain or send pestilence among my people. Who sent it? 
It's, it's just, gosh, you can almost feel like we get, we get free in the room just when we say it. Oh, Lord, you did that, right? And so what I wanna talk about in the context of, of his mercy is, is, is these kinds of things. Now, we're gonna go back to, turn, flip the page, one, one back to the left. So we're gonna, we're gonna go through six because in six, it has this prayer and it is amazing, amazing to, to look at this prayer. But before we do, what's going on in five is it came into David's heart, right? Solomon was Solomon. Chronicles first and second was probably written by Ezra, the scribe, who also wrote Ezra and Nehemiah. You know, you're gonna find varying dates. I mean, call it mid-fifth century, right in there. David is, is typically about a thousand years before BC. So Solomon, 930-ish, right in there. Those kinds of things. But so it came into David's heart to build a temple for God. But God said, you're not the man. It's good that it's in your heart. It's right that it's in your heart. But Solomon, your son, is going to build it for me. Right, and so then you see this, then you see this, these, these plans to build, you see the people coming together in an amazing way to build God a house, something that had never been done before. And, and when you go through five there, and we'll go through six, God said, I've never, I've never chosen a man before, but now I've chosen David. And I've never chosen a city before for my name to dwell there, but now I've chosen Jerusalem. And so in five, what you see is, is the, the temple is, is built. It was about a seven-year process. And the temple was built in the favor of God and the provision of God. It's incredible. I encourage you to, to go through and, and read it. But the temple's built. And there's this moment in time where it says, it's time to bring up the ark. And so they bring up the ark of God's presence from Zion, where it was, and they're moving it into Jerusalem, and they're moving it into the temple, and there is, there is musicians, there is singing, there are sacrifices, bulls, goats, lambs, read it, without number being sacrificed. There is, there is praise, there's, what, I mean, what a scene. It's estimated that, that the children of Israel were between half a million and, and 1.5 million. I don't even know what that, I don't even know how to put that together in my head. Like, what did, what did this look like? But they're coming together and they're worshiping God. I mean, you talk about an assembly church. And, and, and the ark, the ark gets put into the most holy place, this place where the presence of God dwelt. And the, I love this, the presence of God at its center, his way the law. His command was what was in the Ark of the Covenant. See, the truth is we, in our humanity, in our flesh, we'll try to separate God's way from his presence, but it's impossible. We can't do that. And that's why we see his presence and his word and his way right there together in this most holy place. And so you get, you get toward the end of this. Let me just mention this because of the segregation and those kinds of things that we're in the middle of as a nation. 11 says, it came to pass when the priest came out of the most holy place for all the priests who were present and had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions. I love that. In this place, there's just no room. There's no room. Not even the divisions that God himself had set up which is, is very interesting. But so we go down and let me, let me just read from 11. So now I'm in 12. And the Levites who were, who were the singers, all those of Asaph and Heman and Jeb, Jebuthan, however you say that, with their sons and their brethren stood at the east 
into the altar clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps, and with them 120 priests standing, sounding with trumpets. Imagine, let your mind go there. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanksgiving the Lord, when they had lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord saying, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. I want to talk to us today about the mercy of God. It's amazing to me that as his presence moves in, it leads to this declaration of his character. And what you get is his goodness and his mercy. That's what they shouted in unison. His mercy endures forever. So think of that as our bookends. Like we're right at the beginning of the story, right? There's your bookend. It's the goodness and mercy of God. Keep going. That the house the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud when they did what? When they declared the character and nature of God in their midst. The house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Then Solomon spoke. I love this, y'all. This is, this is mind-blowing to me. The presence of God moves in with such force and such weight that the musicians and the priests and those playing, they can't do their duties and they can't play their music. They can't even enter the house of the Lord. And in that environment, Solomon speaks. In that environment, Solomon addresses the people. That is amazing to me. And so then you go down through, through three, to, three through 11 and what Solomon's do is he's blessing the name of the Lord and he's blessing the people and he's saying, Father, all that you got, all that you spoke, now your hand has accomplished. And so he's just, he's stating that. And then you get down to, to 12, 13, 14, where we're heading toward this prayer. That's what we're doing. I love this. Solomon stood before all the people in the presence of the assembly, and he had made this, this kind of bronze altar, this bronze platform, and he, he stands up on it, and then, he, and, then he, and then he kneels. So this whole prayer that we're about to read took place like this. before the assembly. <clears throat> That's right there in 13. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven or on earth like you. You keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. You hear mercy again? We have it in 513. We have it in 614. He goes on, I want you to see that this started with the presence of God thick and the declaration of his mercy because that's also where it's going to end. And so Solomon starts this prayer on his knees. <laughs> but what I love and, and what a thing to keep in mind, right? As we work on redoing a sanctuary. What I love is that Solomon was under no ridiculous conviction that he was actually going to house Almighty God, right? Even though God had put it into his heart, even though God had given him the plans, even though he saw the people of God rallied together in unity in an amazing way, he says in 18, but will God indeed dwell with men 
on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. Don't you love that? So something was going to happen in this house, but it was not almighty God being contained. Heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Who is, who is the temple of God today, church? We are. Right? If you're a son, if you're, if you're a daughter, say, it's me. I am. And it's amazing that the God who the heaven of heavens cannot contain has chosen to dwell here in you and in me. So let's see what it's all about. Let's see what Solomon is about to pray because when God comes to Solomon in the night, what he says is, I've heard your prayer. I've heard your prayer. And here is, here is that prayer. 19. Yet regard, Lord, we can't contain you. In 18, yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication. Oh, Lord, my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you. That your eyes may be open toward this temple day and night, that the place where you said you would put your name, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place. And may you hear the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel, when they pray toward this place, hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. What's that sound like, church? Does it sound like 714? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? He's gonna do it about eight more times. 22. If anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before your altar in this place, hear from heaven. I circled every time. Hear from heaven, right? That would be two. <clears throat> hear from heaven and act and judge your servants, bringing retribution on the wicked, bringing his way on his own head, justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. Last week, one of the things we talked about was judgment begins at the house of God. Here it is, right here. And Second Chronicles, Lord, when there's sin and there's an oath that's forced, come and force that oath. Bring judgment on the wicked. Vindicate the righteous. Hear from heaven and do that. 24, or if your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you and return and confess your name and pray and make supplication before you in this temple, hear from heaven. Forgive the sin of your people, Israel. Bring them back to the land which you gave to them and their fathers. You hear it? Restoration toward inheritance. That, that is the land where we're talking about the mercy of God. When the heavens are shut up. What's that sound like? Come on, y'all. It's amazing. It's amazing to me. Solomon, I heard your prayer when I shut up the heaven and there is no rain and there's pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name, when the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, hear from heaven, 
Forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk. And sin reign on your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. Do you see that I will heal their land? Is rain. It's rain. And certainly when it's pestilence, it's sickness. Right? But if a land is broken because of no rain and God says, I'll heal that land, it's rain. And it's, it's just, it's portrayed so beautifully right here that Solomon can see all this and he's praying all this back to God and saying, God, if your name dwells here, if your presence and your law and your name is gonna dwell here, then God, under any circumstance and, and whenever your people actually return to you, hear them, forgive them, heal them. And the Father says it. Repetition is important in Scripture. And we have repetition to the max right here. What does it have to do with us? We're the church. We're the temple. This is where the name of God dwells now. You are where the name of God dwells now. How often do you feel like, y'all, come on, is this just me? How often do you feel like I've just screwed up one too many times? Will God really take me back again? Can God really restore? Is there really any inheritance left? Right here, right here, over and over again. When there's famine in the land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when their enemies besiege them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, I love that, whatever plague, whatever sickness, COVID included, whatever plague, whatever sickness, listen to the language, whatever prayer, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows his own burden and his own grief and spreads out his hands to this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, and forgive and give to everyone according to his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of the sons of men, that they may fear you to walk in your way as long as they live in the land which you gave to our fathers. Moreover, can he really keep going? Yes. Moreover, concerning the foreigner, say, oh God, thanks, thank you for the foreigner. That's us. That's me. When, when the foreigner, this, this is, this is, I don't even have the word for it, how out of place this is. If you weren't Jewish, you didn't touch the temple. Couldn't even go in the temple. When the foreigner, who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when they come and pray in this temple, then hear from heaven, your dwelling place, do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you. Thank you, Jesus. Why? That all the peoples of the earth may know you. It was never just about the Jewish people. They're just the leaders. They just lead the way. Just lead the rest of the world right to him. But from the beginning, that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you 
as do your people Israel, that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. When your people go out to battle against their enemies, wherever you send them and when they pray to you toward this city which you have chosen in the temple which I have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their supplication. Maintain their cause. He fights for you. He fights for me. Maintain their cause, God. And they pray and they cry out. This is, this is victory. 37. Yet when, 36, when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to a land far or near, Yet when they come to themselves, circle that, underline that, do something on your phone if you're following on your phone. When they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent and make supplication to you. Where? In the land of their captivity, saying, we have sinned, we've done wrong, we've committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul, where, Brannon, when, Brannon, in the land of their captivity, where they have been carried captive, and they pray toward their land. What is that? They pray toward their inheritance. They pray toward their promise. They, they pray toward what they know is theirs in you. And the city which you've chosen, they pray toward your people both now as, as John sees the city of God descending in the book of Revelation, he calls it the heavenly Jerusalem, both then, hope now, hope forever. They pray toward that hope. They pray toward God's design and toward the temple which I built for your name. They pray toward this presence of God. They pray toward this way of God. We talk about this all the time as a church. It's very much in alignment. It's very much a coming into agreement with these things. But God, even in the land of their captivity, when they, when they pray and they turn back to you with all of their heart, hear from heaven, your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplications, and maintain their cause. And forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, my God, I pray, let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to prayer made in this place. I love this. I can't stop here, y'all. Sorry. Now, therefore, arise, O Lord God, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priest, O Lord, be clothed with salvation. Let your saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed. Remember the mercies of your servant, David. Beautiful. When Solomon had finished, where'd we start? When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the house. Now, when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord saying, for he is good and his mercy endures 
forever, forever. It's amazing. What a beautiful prayer. Aren't you glad you know where it is now? Aren't you glad you can find it? Now, after we read all of that, listen. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I've heard your prayer. I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locust to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Beautiful. You guys agree? You still with me? Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Man, we need more time, y'all. I got so much more. (laughs) Yeah, I know you say that, but there's nursery. (laughs) That's funny. Listen. This is the promise. This is the covenant. This is what it looks like when God, God moves in. God's presence dwells. And God sets his name on his temple. That is you and me. You never have to wonder again, church. I never have to wonder, will he take me back? This is the gospel. This is good news. We're not defined by our mistakes. We're not defined by our failures, no matter how many times we make them, no matter how far we go, no matter how bad the captivity looks like, no matter how big the mess we've made. He says eight times, you turn, I'm here. You turn, I'm here. Always forever, right? We can celebrate that and that can empower us to this amazing love relationship with the Father God, not a place of abusing his grace or his mercy. Oh, well, if you'll always take me back. And, and, and this, is, this is what I'll say about mercy because I think this is where we get it wrong sometimes. When we think about mercy, and you've been speeding, and that officer pulls you over, or me. We're in such a hurry, aren't we? And he actually doesn't give you a fine. Is that mercy? Right. So we define it by not getting something bad we deserve. Would that be fair? That's how I define it. Is that how you define it? So when we read about well, Lord, if there's, if there's famine, if there's, if there's affliction from you, if you shut up heaven and there's no rain, if there's pestilence, if, if the enemy has, has run us over, at that point in the conversation, do we exclude the mercy of God? Does that look like mercy to you and I? That is my question. Because the book ends where he is good, his mercy endures forever. And then his presence comes and his glory comes and the fire falls and this, this, this beautiful prayer is prayed that says, 
God, when we walk away from you, there will be tremendous pain. And in that place of pain, we have an opportunity to to see something, embrace something, see our need for you, see how fragile we are, see that we can't do it on our own, see that your way is better, and choose you, right? The mercy of God. Listen, church, stay with me. Five to seven, maybe. Listen, the mercy of God. is not just holding back what might hurt us. It is much bigger than that. You can't, you can't walk through this prayer and arrive at that definition and only that definition of mercy. <clears throat> the mercy of God is, is giving us the opportunity when they come to themselves in the land of captivity. The mercy of God is what we see in the story of the prodigal son when the good little Jewish boy is feeding swine and he's hungry and it says he came to his senses. The mercy of God is Hebrews 12 when it says no chastening is joyful. No one endures it while they're going through it. And isn't it you and I in our plea for for how we understand mercy that we would say, God, don't chasten. Don't chasten me. This is what mercy looks like that you withhold what hurts. And yet Hebrews 12 tells us this is the proof of your sonship. This is how you know you're a son or a daughter. This will produce the peaceable fruit of righteousness if you and I will be trained by it. This is how we become a partaker of his holiness. That is mercy. That which gives us the opportunity to turn back to a benevolent God that you and I have no power to describe. Now think about this, right? Like we just have to go a little larger in the conversation to really understand what do we really deserve from God? What we really deserve from God is separation and condemnation. Right? And so... If God, even if he afflicts us, now you can call this a lot of different things. We can call it sowing and reaping. We can call it the wages of sin are actually still death, right? We can call it the the works of the flesh and just the consequences they produce. We can call it God taking his hand off or we can call it God actually afflicting us. Like James 4 says, he will resist the proud, actually fight against them. God will do that. I don't really care what we call it. What I think is so important, church, for us to get vision for is that when he withholds that, that is mercy. And he's trusting us to come to this place of repentance without smashing us. And that is mercy. Why? Because it still gives us the ability to come back to him. And when he doesn't withhold that, and we get beat down hard, and we experience lack, 
and we lose relationships and we lose joy and we find ourselves in places of captivity. That is mercy. That is mercy. Why? Because in that place, we have the ability to come to ourselves and see something we haven't seen until we got, until it got real bad for real long. We say this all the time. That person hasn't hit rock bottom yet. Why do we say that? Because we actually believe in what I'm preaching, right? It's this ability to turn back to God and actually enter a relationship with him again. One of benevolence, one of love, one of goodness, one of call, one of restoration, both here now and this life and in the next. That is the punishment that we actually deserve. And so anything, whether God withholds what we walk through right now or whether he pushes it on us and we're, and we're almost crushed under the weight of it, either of those, both of those, give us the opportunity to come back into a relationship that we should not be able to come back into. It's not getting what we deserve which is relationship with him. And anything that threatens that relationship, even if it's the withholding of affliction, that is the thing that is merciless. And anything that empowers that relationship and that coming back into fellowship with the Father, even if it is affliction. That is actually the thing that is full of mercy. I call. Come, Michael. I call. You answer. And you came to my rescue. And I just want to be where you are. Can you guess what I want to sing, Michael? You guys can stand. Father, I just ask you, God. I thank you for your word, God. Your word's so good. It's sweet on our lips. Thank you for your temple. Thank you for your temples in this room, God. Thank you for the church of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you. You are merciful beyond words, God. Your mercy is new every single morning. But I thank you that it's broad, God. It's not too easily definable. Beyond those things that you do or you don't do that give us the greatest opportunity to return to you upon the points when we stray. God, you, you withhold that which we deserve, which is separation from yourself. And you do it in so many ways, giving us opportunity to, to return to you. This is probably why you said there's no greater born to woman than John the Baptist because he came preaching a baptism of repentance and return to God.
thank you for that promise. Thank you for that ability that will never end, that perpetual promise from you, God. We just say yes to it. We just say yes to it. Lord, help us see and be willing before things get to a place of ruin. But even if they're in a place of ruin, even if they get to a place of ruin, in that place we say, this is your mercy. Let me respond to your mercy and return to the one who will always take me back. God, we give you glory. We bless your name this morning. We submit to you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us today for our podcast. Eastside Church exists to help people encounter Jesus, be equipped to grow and engage their community. For more information, please go to our website at eastsidechurch.co.